0: The Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy Seven and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, the venerable Johnny Venerable. We're here to talk about Arizona Cardinals football, and uh, today, kind of a sad day in some cases. For others, it may be a bit of a relief, but it is the end of the Arizona Cardinals season. They finish with an 8-8 and record on the year, dropping their last two games, including a 18 to seven road finale against the Los Angeles Rams, and uh, it was a win and you're in game. Cardinals do not win; they are not moving on to the wild card round of the playoffs. Instead, the Chicago Bears at the same 8-8 record will end up playing the New Orleans Saints in the first round. The Los Angeles Rams behind the arm and leg of John Wolford do make it into the playoffs. And, uh, John, let's start out by talking and how this is just not the way that I think Cardinals fans wanted the season to end. But I think this came somewhat as a surprise to some fans for the most part as far as how inept the Cardinals have looked in the last two games. In some cases maybe it's not nearly as much of a surprise as it should be that Arizona was not able to get past the NFC West and still stay defeated. You could say against the likes of Sean McVeigh.
1: Yeah. Welcome in everybody. I'm sorry. This isn't on, on better terms, Blake and I were really excited to do a pod this week, previewing a first round playoff matchup. We have done this podcast for four to five years now. We have, we, I think we started it right after the 2015 season And we have still have yet to see this team reach the postseason. Um, And, you know, by all accounts, this is one of the better seasons in recent memory. But still, when you look at the surface, not good enough. And that's just what consistently comes to mind. This is not a playoff team. It's set it in the standings. This was an average team. This was a 500 team away from State Farm Stadium and 500 team at State Farm Stadium. That's who they were. And they compete in what is probably the toughest division in football, And you look in the surface, Blake, and we both felt like the Cardinals had a chance to win this game. But even with what did it tell you that even with the likes of Jared Goff not playing, Cooper Cup, Michael Brockers, um, Henderson, the running back, all of these outside elements factoring into this game. And we still thought maybe the Cardinals could win, but it was a coin flip. It was a coin flip in Vegas in terms of the spread consistently all week. And Kyler Murray comes out, plays the first possession, gets hit gets his ankle rolled up on, has to leave the game until what equates to about the fourth quarter because by all accounts, painkillers had to kick in, his his ankle swelled, it, you know, the the pain subsidized, and he was able to increase his mobility after basically two and a half quarters of sitting. And by sitting, I mean riding the stationary bike, running around the stadium. He he tried everything he could to get back in that game. But I think everybody watching that had a dejected feeling even after the John Wolford interception on his first pass that Chris Streveler was just so completely limited and that the Cardinals would have had to play post a a shutout defensively for for them to win this game. And, you know, give them credit. We're going to be negative on this podcast to some degree because of the fact that the Cardinals blew two opportunities to make the postseason at the end of the year. Had they won that Niner game, by the way, because the Bears lost, this game would have been meaningless for them. But they lost that game. We covered it last week. And then the fact that the defense, Blake, to me, which isn't perfect, but you look at their personnel, their, their personnel is not perfect either. The defense came out and, and gave up to what equated to nine points, three field goals. And the Cardinal offense, led by Strevler and Cliff Kingsbury and his play calling, gave up the same amount of points, that being Chris Strevler's pick six to end the half. And then also the safety call where you're having a backup quarterback in Chris Strevler on second down after you just completed or, excuse me, gained multiple yards on the ground running Kenyon Drake off the one yard line, following Isaiah Simmons forced fumble and recovery by Byron Murphy. You're having Chris Treveller drop back to pass in your own end zone. I, I just think the offense to me was the, was the main reason it was the reason why they were in contention early in the season. And it was the reason wh- that they completely fell out in the second half of the season. They averaged just under 30 points per game through eight games this year no coincidence, their record was 5-3, and then it was 6-3, and three. and then over the course of the last, I believe, 7-8 to eight games, they averaged just under 21 points, 22 points per game, so a dramatic drop, over a touchdown drop in terms of what they averaged. And I think, again, you don't have Kyler Murray, you've got built-in excuses in this game why you didn't play effectively, but the Rams came out, and they operated with their backup, and I would argue with a more deteriorated offensive line, a less capable receiving core. And the Cardinals at least had DeAndre Hopkins. But it, it was just, it took the air out of the Cardinal fan base. It, it, it made me sick to my stomach knowing that Kyler Murray wouldn't be able to put his imprint on this game. And I think, Blake, you and I both feel like, had Murray played, they'd probably win. We still don't know for sure. Because the offense, even when Kyler played, and I know he was gimpy, they still didn't convert points. They had a field goal blocked. They, they butchered a, a a red zone opportunity. I just think this game was a microcosm of, number one, offensive inefficiencies, and to parlay off of that, also coaching ineptitude and still how far Cliff Kingsbury and company have to go to even reach the heights of Sean McVay's team that was 10-6 and six and probably behind closed doors admitted to having a down year, especially a down second half of the year. So I'm disappointed for Cardinal fans because... If you were to listen to this podcast two months ago, Blake and I were super confident, not only in their ability to make the postseason, but to do some damage in the postseason, win a playoff game, maybe contend for the division. Even after that Seattle Thursday night loss that pushed them to six and three, or excuse me, six and four, we still felt confident that this team would scrap together enough momentum to win, especially with some favorable games over the second half and You look at some of their losses, who are they losing to? Well, they lost to Sean McVay twice. They lost to Kyle Shanahan. They lost to Bill Belichick. And who did they beat? They beat a really poor Giants and Eagles team in the NFC East, which is the worst division in recent memory. They're just, they don't deserve to go to the playoffs. And it's, it's harsh to say that because I think there are individual players on the Cardinals who do deserve to play, you know, when the lights are brightest in the postseason. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Buda Baker. Hassan Reddick, DJ Humphries, there's about five to seven guys on the Cardinals that deserve to make it to the playoffs, but it's a team game and their, their team just wasn't good enough this year. And you enter now a postseason, excuse me, and not a postseason, but an offseason where there are so many more questions than answers. And I think it starts and ends Blake with, do you have confidence in Cliff Kingsbury moving forward?
0: That's what I think where a lot of fans are right now. John is looking at this kind of trifecta. The Cardinals have done coming off of the 2017 season with how they had a whole entire reset of head coach and quarterback. So now you're looking kind of, all right, this is year two of the cliff and Kyler era. You see the team that Steve Keim has done. I think we both kind of felt that as far as the talent was concerned on the team, You saw the team had enough talent to compete in games, but there was always something that felt like that was holding them back. I think a lot of what we even talked about, John, was how important that fast start was to the Cardinals game, knowing that they were going to be facing a lot tougher teams down the stretch, a lot of divisional games. I think what was surprising to a lot of people, though, at least, was the way the Cardinals came out against teams that you felt like that you were better than, or at least you were outclassed. Uh, You look at the Patriots game, you look at the... Uh, you know, even some of these other games against um, uh, the backups for the Niners, the backups for the Rams. I think you can even take a look at games against teams that were starting a quarterback in their second or even first start in Jalen Hurts, to a tug of with Miami, and then look at the game against Wolford. You saw essentially in a lot of ways a microcosm of defensive inefficiencies and uh, in most of those games, at least, that were against the division offensive struggles where the defense essentially had to go out and win the game and were incapable of doing so. And that's where I think you have to look at some of this game. A lot of it, I think came down to we saw what this team looks like in a lot of ways without Kyler Murray and a lot of the ability to scramble and having a mobile quarterback. Maybe even you could even argue the play calling being not really tailored as much to the fact that Arizona had a backup. But the fact that it seemed like the Cardinals kind of kept whatever their game plan was going in, like you saw Strevel, he was 11 of 16 or so, you didn't see, I think, any designed runs or even the ability to scramble until probably about somewhere in the third quarter. <laughs> it was a little bit surprising, I think. And that's part of one of the things I think we've learned about Cliff Kingsbury is we've seen the ability to adjust and to adapt somewhat, but it doesn't seem like that there's as much as far as in game adjustments in some of those ways, it's something, perhaps it's as far as whether it's the offense or the timer, some of it may just be having to learn on the fly. The capability of something Uh, The capability of Kingsbury is something I think that we haven't questioned as much. I think it's been seeing, hey, he can learn, seeing where the offense is, it can improve. I think a lot of fans are starting to question wonder, is the capacity for Kingsbury to improve in there, but... Is the capability to go out, and be able to lead the team, be able to call plays. I think a lot of that came down ultimately to the end of the game call, which is the most controversial. You talk about how Kyler Murray and he goes off of the field for you know a quarter and a half or so. You see Chris Traveller come in. The offense is um, awful. You see it punt, punt. Give up a safety. He's holding on to the ball too long in the end zone. Maybe they're afraid that they weren't able to run the ball effectively at all. We saw Chase Edmonds had three carries for minus three yards, looking at maybe just over three yards per carry for Kenyon Drake. It felt really like the Cardinals, whenever the run game has been taken away from them and they're not able to get into third manageable. We've just seen a lot of struggles if it's not Kyler picking up third down with his legs. I think we can get into some of the causes or reasons for that, but it really did end up being a punt, safety punt a free play that wasn't called on a flag, a poor throw from Streveler gets picked off, returned for a touchdown. At that point, you go into the half. You're going, gosh, the Cardinals could have gone into the half with the lead, 7-5. Instead, you go into the end of the half with 20 seconds left, essentially just kneeling the ball. Uh, at the end of the game, Kyler Murray comes back. We talked a little bit about how against the Rams last year, at times it seemed like he had to be talked in into kind of playing that game because he wasn't sure what's the availability. Is he going to be able to scramble? They seem to adjust the game plan. Kyler comes in. They drive down the field, essentially, and it was almost an immediate difference that you had from the – Uh, first and 10 at that 25-yard line for Arizona. He drives them all the way down to the LA 19-yard line. They go for a pass to uh, Hopkins. He gets, uh, I think it was sacked from the LA 11. They're not really able to run the ball. It's kind of a weird sequence. Kyler runs, gets taken down for minus four yards. He gets sacked for minus eight. You're all the way back at the LA 19. You're like, okay, just... You're 11 points down. Don't make a dumb mistake, at least. You can still get a field goal out of it. They throw to DeAndre Hopkins. The pass is broken up. There's no flag that's called. Hopkins essentially gets very upset with the officials. Doesn't get a flag. There's a lot of things we can talk about with Hopkins and some of that here. I saw some fan reaction on social media to it. But you get the kicked blocked then on fourth and goal from the 19-yard line. At that point, it just really felt like that the Cardinals, no matter what was going to happen, it just wasn't their day. They weren't going to win the game. It just felt like that everything was kind of in L.A.'s hands. And you get to the end of the game, and ultimately you talk about this third and 18. Cardinals are essentially trying to, you know, run the ball, chase Edmonds gets dropped for a three-yard loss. Kyler Murray takes a deep pass to Shurfield, doesn't make it. At third and 18, we have a play call for an option run for Kyler Murray to the left. A little bit of a hesitancy, pitches the ball to Chase Edmonds, who's taken down for another three-yard loss. You're talking now about fourth and 21 from Arizona's 49-yard line. So if you're talking about four minutes left. If you're going to have to get into field goal range, you can maybe pick that up with a long field goal of 50 yards plus if you can pick up maybe 17 yards or so are you going to try to go for it see if you can get in you're coming down to essentially where you could give the ball back to LA they could just kneel out the clock Uh, Arizona of course had another (laughs) issue we could talk about they only had one timeout left due to squandering one with a play clock running down Uh, guys weren't lined up it just felt ultimately like that the disorganization that the Cardinals had and the questions of conservatives conservatism with Cliff Kingsbury in You know, going for it when he shouldn't, not going for it on fourth and 21, kind of handing the game back to the Rams. It was very confusing, I think, to a lot of people, John, because the season was hanging in the balance, and you have to wonder... Did Cliff decide, hey, like we need to run a safe play, try to bait the Rams in, pitch it? Was that something where Kyler made the check at the line, thinking, hey, I can run this. He really couldn't. The Rams were not fooled. Or was this essentially Cliff going, man, it's 4th and 21. Kyler's gimpy out there. I'm terrified that my quarterback may get his head knocked off and be out for some of next season. So we just have to punt it and hope that our defense can make a play on the other end. It really was kind of a bizarre aspect. And I think in some cases, fans are trying to point  – and say, is this us expecting Kyler to be more than he is? Is this Kingsbury you know, coaching where you're talking about how he's just coaching malpractice? Is this an example of how the team's talent level, when you aren't having Kyler Murray on the field able to use his legs and he's not throwing to Hopkins, you just don't have anyone around him. Like We could look at how the offensive line got blown back. We could talk about how none of the other receivers seemed to make a play. Goodness, we didn't even talk about how late on Saturday we found out Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald were not going to be playing in this game, and it didn't look pretty. And I think what a lot of fans left with, John, was there was some progress made, but the questions that left a sour taste in your mouth had a lot of fans doubting it moving forward. And it's hard to object, considering that the Kylerless offense that we saw the Cardinals play, in some cases, looked like the 2018 Cardinals more than the 2020 Cardinals we've come to expect.
1: Yeah, just back to the third down play. We'll, we'll we'll never know the truth, whether it was Kyler or, or Audibly and out or if that was the call from Cliff. I mean, had Kyler been healthy and they attempt to run that play, given all of the ineptitude that's gone on with the secondary options at receiver beyond Hopkins and, and to a lesser extent, Dan Arnold, maybe the thought process could have been, we're going to catch the Rams off guard and we haven't utilized Kyler's legs today. I'm saying if he if he wasn't hurt. And we know we're going to go for it on fourth down. So let's try to pick up an easy 10 to 15 yards. Let's see if we can catch them off guard. But just the way that, that Kyler looked, how, how hobbled he was, and the fact that when that play was happening, I just, I was speechless. I, I didn't know what to say. I, I put it on Twitter. I said, it encapsulates Cliff Kingsbury's day perfectly. It was just inept. And so I, I go back to, I, I believe just Cliff got too cute for the room again. The creativity that we saw from his rookie coaching season, I think, has, is all but gone now. And he's lost a lot of credibility with folks in the process. But I also think it's part of it is the lack of belief in some of these other options at receiver. You, you've tried to go to Hopkins now for two consecutive weeks and, and give opposing defenses credit. This is why the Cardinals, even with Hopkins, need second and third receiving options, because when you run into the Jalen Ramseys of the world and Jason Verrett for San Francisco, who's playing as well as anybody in the NFL with a defensive minded Robert Sala, they are going to have chances to take away Hopkins. So you need to be able to have a number two and a number three receiver that you have confidence in. And this game was compounded by the fact that, oh, by the way, Christian Kirk was on the COVID reserve list. He wasn't playing. Of course, we can get into that as to how he got on the list, how he wasn't being overly effective beforehand, but he's still de facto your best secondary option in the passing game. And then the the great Larry Fitzgerald just couldn't play with it with a groin injury. So you're already down to the bottom of the barrel. So maybe they, they just thought we have a better chance of trying to run this option play because Chase Edmonds is one of our more effective playmakers. But I still can't wrap my head around it. And it's really the last in, um, impression of this season, Blake. And and that's not a good one if you're Cliff Kingsbury. I think that that's why so much of a, of us, including myself, said that that Sunday was a must win because it's going to dictate how we look at Cliff Kingsbury for the next half calendar year before OTAs and minicamp and camp starts up again next year. We're going to have that fresh in our mind. And sure, we'll we'll go through lulls with free agency in the draft and there'll be some restored optimism. I said, you know, kind of tongue in cheek on Twitter that everything's going to be forgiven. Once the Cardinals roll out quote unquote new uniforms, I have no idea if they're going to in the spring, but that's just, that's just kind of the way it thinks we have a, we have a short memory in some regard, but I just think that right now the narrative is, is so negative for Cliff Kingsbury being able to succeed at the NFL stage. The fact that he was gifted this opportunity, that it was a gimmick, that it was a ploy, that it was, he was undeserving by a franchise that, in my opinion, has low self-esteem and attempting to buy low on a, a very strong offensive mind. But just Cliff has not showcased an ability to get over the hump. And I think for the people that are, and there's a lot of them, that are pushing back with some of our comments and some of our criticisms that, well, this team was 8-8. Eight and eight. They're over under for the season. <clears throat> Excuse me. was seven and a half. They exceeded expectations. They did this. They did that. You know their offense improved statistically, even though Football Outsiders had them dropping six spots from you know 13th to 19th. All of this happened in the second half of the year, and that's what people are going to remember. The Cardinals started out like gangbusters and were five and two, and then they finished the season three and six, including 0 and four in the division. It's it's a what have you done for me lately? If the Cardinals had started three and six, but ended five and two, the narrative, even if they had missed the postseason on this team would be completely different. Now, I'm not saying that momentum carries, you know, forward for a franchise. It certainly doesn't. And you, know, if you remember the, the 2000, I believe 11 Arizona Cardinals, Patrick Peterson's rookie year, that team somehow managed to be eight and eight. Ken Wisenhunt got to keep his job for another year and was fired in, in 2012. Uh, they started four and oh, and I think they lost, you know, five, they lost every game but one to to end the year. I think five and eleven, so they could flip the script and and have a really successful start to next season and continue that. Learn from this, but I also think that we need to be critical because we saw Cliff Kingsbury be out coached damn near every Sunday, and it, it was disappointing to see last year. You know, and early on in the season, he went toe to toe with Sean or Kyle Shanahan and Pete Carroll, Ron Rivera. I mean, the the offense, the team looked competent they look like a a playoff contender but now we look back and we dissect those games Blake and it's like did they really or was Kyler Murray just playing otherworldly football was was he just playing at such a high level that Cliff Kingsbury could kind of go through the motions because in all actuality their their statistics are going to be better than how efficient they were offensively the run game at no point was better than last year and outside of you know jump balls and and specific Routes to Hopkins on on the left side of the field. There was no intermediate passing game. No number two receiver stepped up. It was really a two man show. It was Kyler Murray making plays. As with DeAndre Hopkins, you had an offensive line that had two very capable tackles, but the interior regressed significantly. And you had a head coach that, when when the lights came on and it was time to punch your punch your ticket to the dance, he just couldn't do it. And until he does, entering what will be a critical year three. Everybody is going to have a target on him as just a complete incompetent head coach in the NFL that has no deserving spot there.
0: Yeah. And some of that was how he came in. You mentioned how the narrative is for Kingsbury, where everyone said, Hey, look, he's never finished with a record better than eight and eight. And we said, Hey, this is something that's going to follow him all offseason if he does finish. And part of that is because of the collapse that we've seen of the Cardinals offense. You talked about how. The schedule and how everything seemed to kind of shift after that week 11 Seahawks game where the team got punched in the face, you knew that Kyler's mobility was maybe a bit hinged, maybe there was issues with his arm, but it seemed very much like in a lot of ways that the Cardinals offense just was not the same functionality that it was in the weeks previously after the Hale Murray went down. You talk about how they had essentially scored 21.17, came back in the second half against the Rams after a miserable first half, and then ultimately the Giants game was really, in a lot of ways, the offense was efficient, but it was won by the defense, partially behind five sacks by Hassan Reddick and being able to force Daniel Jones into game-breaking plays. Uh, After that, the only game that really seemed like it was a highlight was the Eagles game, which was 33-26, is the final. They were able to put up 30 points. Some of that due to, I believe, in the uh, beginning, they were able to at least force, a I believe it was either a, was it a fumble or interception, able to get some defensive points on the board. After that, it really was kind of the Eagles game where Arizona was able to take advantage of a bad secondary And then at the end, they still couldn't put the game away was kind of the interesting one. They had two fourth down opportunities that the Eagles got to kind of go and pull a, uh, you know, pull a win out of their butts. Cardinals are able to get the passes knocked down, kind of escape with a win against a team that went on to essentially tank their last game of the season for the most part. And I think that the issue that Cardinals fans are running into, like you said, is when you're talking about being in the NFC West and being in a division, that has three teams that have been in the Super Bowl over the last was like five or six, I think it's six years or so now. These are teams that are loaded with talent, have had general managers who have essentially been effective and able to build championship-quality teams. And we talk about how in the playoffs, for the most part, one of these teams has always seemed to have been a major threat to be a Super Bowl contender. The Cardinals, for their aspect, after their big run in 2015, essentially got worse every single year up into 2018. And have been trying to build back from there. And that's kind of where I think you want to break down where the Cardinals currently are heading into next year. And I think it functions around the three things like you talked about. Where is Kyler at? Where is Cliff and the coaching staff? And ultimately, where is Steve Keim and the not just the talent on this roster, but the timeline of what you're expecting the Cardinals to be? So let's let's at least start right now with Kyler. Because I think, and this is a good statement that we saw at least from um, Derek Claussen. He was a guy we had on our show in the past to talk about Kyler and Rosen. He said that he thinks uh, part of the issue that we've had a lot of times is we're talking about a 23-year-old quarterback who went out and put up 36 touchdowns, put up, I believe it was 3,900 or so yards passing and 800 yards rushing, another, you know, 11 touchdowns that were there on the ground. And... We're looking at it and going, well, that's an eight and eight season. The expectations that people had, ultimately, we've talked about how when you're comparing the likes of a Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson, you know, Kyler from a fantasy standpoint finishes basically what was it like the fan, quarterback two or three or it was like ridiculous as far as for that. Josh Allen, I think, yeah, he passed him up for that. I think Allen had some, like, 40-plus touchdowns or plus touchdowns on the ground. It was a insane season for Josh Allen. The only thing that maybe outdoes him is the fact that Aaron Rodgers had one of the most efficient quarterback seasons we've seen in a long time. Uh, he definitely used the uh, fact the Packers drafted a first-round quarterback. It seems like he used that as motivation. But we're looking at all that with Kyler saying, hey, like, ultimately – It doesn't matter what your stats are. What really matters is being able to go out and win football games. And we saw the Cardinals in some cases were able to pull it off. In some situationally, they were not. And I think a lot of that is when you're looking at the Cardinals, when we compared it to the Mahomes, the Jackson, even to the likes of Josh Allen, people forget the Bills had to trade up twice for Josh Allen. Because even though they traded back to get multiple first-round picks in the 2017 draft, trading back from Patrick Mahomes, they had to trade up twice because they made the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor that previous year. So you're talking about three playoff teams compared to the Arizona Cardinals taking Kyler Murray at number one overall. And that's why I think the, the comparison you have for the Cardinals is maybe not as much the comparison to the likes of you know Mahomes or this Air Raid or this rushing quarterback offense, you kind of have to take a look at what are teams that were picking at number one and were able to really turn their franchise around. And the only one we've kind of seen for the most part is kind of a bad example in some cases or maybe a bit apt, but I think you look at the 2012 Indianapolis Colts because that was a team that picked number one, that team tanked and was terrible without Peyton Manning. And their first year, they went 9-7 and seven with Bruce Arians kind of getting a couple of last-minute wins, maybe a bit of a defensive team that found a way to win late and had to be built back over time that had no offensive line for him that was terrible on defense. They renewed their head coach with Pagano and uh, I think it was Ryan Grigson's contract a few times. At the end, they finally had this dominant playoff team with Andrew Luck and Frank Reich after all of these kind of malfeasance. And he retires at age 30 because he's just not recovering from an ankle injury. That, I think, is what Cardinals fans are terrified of, of is having a franchise quarterback and then seeing organizational malfeasance kind of take it where it takes something that should be a special time and takes it away. And I think that's part of why Cardinals fans are, in some cases, maybe doubting Kyler a bit, but in a lot of cases, I think they're doubting the org. The question I have for you, John, is how much of Kyler and what we've seen for this year – ultimately is on him. Some question you know, is he reading defenses, right? Is it something where he's having to do too much? How much of this ultimately is something that you put on him? Maybe there's even questions people have had about toughness, tenacity, or, Hey, is his size impacting the way the Cardinals have to play on offenses where, you know, defense, say, Oh, just, you know, look at Colin Kaepernick, shut down his legs, shut down, you know, his number one target in his first read and you can just sack him at well. What are we to make of Kyler Murray and how do we analyze this second season? Because I think a lot of Cardinals fans would have told you a couple of weeks ago before this huge offensive slide, they felt confident. Now, I'm not saying everyone's out on him, but I think there's questions that people have about quarterback 1 here.
1: I've have, I've have zero questions about Kyler Murray. The only questions I have are pertaining to the organization that he's a part of. Um you look at every advanced metric, uh his passing statistic, he improved this year. The completion percentage from rookie year to this year went up 3% from 64 to 67. His yards after essentially not playing last week were still better than 2019. He had almost 4000 yards passing just under. He averaged 2.2 2 higher uh, completion than he did in 2019, 6.9 to 7.1. He had six more touchdown passes from 20 to 26, same amount of interceptions with 12. That doesn't bother me if he wants to throw 12 picks every year. I have no problem with that because of what else he gives you. He was sacked 21 less times than a year ago. And, you know, we talk about the Cardinals' offensive line performing well at times. I also think that. He 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 was hit less than every quarterback but Aaron Rodgers in football, and I think you talk about pocket awareness. He is exceptional at that. He is not Andrew Luck, who took too many sacks, in part because his offensive line was terrible, but also just trying to extend too many plays. He talked about improving that this year, and he did. That was a huge win for him. Passer rating, of course, 87 to 94. And then you look at the rush, rushing statistics, Blake, they're all worldly. 800 yards, 6.2 yards per carry, which I believe led the NFL. 11 touchdowns outside of four of a year ago. I mean, he he put together a statistical season really without a Week 17 that we've never seen in a Cardinal uniform before, and people want to nitpick. I, here's what I'm nitpicking, the personnel that he gets to play with at receiver, the, the coaching that he's giving, getting week in to week out. Andrew Luck got his foundation laid by Bruce Arians, but he was also a much more refined pocket passer coming out of Stanford. He was a multi-year starter. You know, nobody compared Andrew Luck to Kyler Murray coming out. I, I really do think the more logical comparison for Kyler's situation, and I've said this so many times if you're a frequent listener of the podcast, is it is not Andrew Luck or Lamar or Patrick Mahomes. It is Cam Newton. Cam Newton was the first overall pick to a defensive-minded head coach who had never been a head coach before, and I know you know Cliffs an offensive-minded head coach, but that was a rebuilding team. Carolina took Cam Newton in 2011 after bottoming out. You know what they did in 2010? They traded up, albeit in the second round, for a quarterback from Notre Dame named Jimmy Clausen. It was almost back-to-back first-round quarterbacks, just like the Cardinals. Cardinals took Rosen, they took Jimmy Clausen, they bombed. Every, everything got replaced. I do think Carolina got a new GM. Steve Kahn was gifted another chance. And what did Carolina do his first year? I believe they won five or six games. And what did Carolina do in the first round of that year? They took a linebacker named Luke Keekley. What did the Cardinals do? They went 5-10-1. They took a linebacker named Isaiah Simmons in his second year. I think they went 7-8-1, won the division, of course, beat the Cardinals in the first round. But were an under-500 team in a bad division but still won it. I mean, Cam's numbers didn't look anything close to what Kyler did this year. Kyler was much more efficient. Then that team got a little bit better. And then the next year, they had a really nice season um, in route to, I believe, their 2015, maybe NFC championship season. I I don't think the Cardinals are going to get there because they don't play of the NFC South of 2015. But I do think it's realistic to expect another jump from Kyler next year, especially when you consider you still have him on his rookie deal he's not hurt he's, he's he, to me his toughness can't be questioned he got laid out against Seattle didn't come out uh, his his ankle got rolled up on and he came back in the game nobody can criticize him for that he came back in the game against the number 1 defense in the NFL and tried to get it out he if they would have won that game he would have been playing this weekend you you and i both know it so he still has never missed a start in the NFL he's got 32 games under his belt all of which he started now he's missed bits and pieces to end the season but again can you Refortify the interior offensive line. Can you upgrade the center position? Clearly, hopefully, that's going to be a, a prime example of something they target in the off season, whether with a veteran or a draft pick. They need to upgrade. I would argue two receivers. If you want to go out and get a, a bona fide number two with Hopkins, and then a developmental guy that could come in and be a change of pace number four receiver. They need a capable running back. Kenyon Drake fell off a cliff over the second half of the season. Chase Edmonds, can can you get him in a rookie to, to get some mojo going in twenty twenty one? I just think that Kyler Murray carried this team for a long time this season, and when he needed his head coach to make adjustments and other players to step up around him, not named DeAndre Hopkins, no one could do it. Christian Kirk, over the second half of the season, had under 250 receiving yards and zero touchdowns. He became a complete vegetable. Larry Fitzgerald is old and got beat up, and had a huge COVID-19 scare. I'm so glad he's okay. But he's going to be 38. It's a young man's game, and you're pairing Larry Fitzgerald $11 million? That's not great business. Andy Isabella, we've talked at it ad nauseum. He is a bust. They, they He was inactive throughout the course of the, the last quarter of the season. He would have been active in Week 17 had Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald been healthy. And even though he was active, he still didn't see the field. So what you had was you had DeAndre Hopkins— and you had Dan Arnold, and that was it. And so to me, I just think that we expect him to take that next step into MVP status, just like – I've said this forever – just like Lamar, just, just like Patrick Mahomes. I say we, just nationally. People are like, well, Kyler Murray, he's, he's the next MVP in year two. Those teams had infrastructures of success, continued success. Kansas City and Baltimore are two of the better run organizations in all of the NFL – They have Hall of Fame head coaches. John Harbaugh's going to the Hall of Fame. We know Andy Reid's going to the Hall of Fame. Those two teams traded up for said quarterbacks. Kansas City went from the 20s to get Mahomes at 10. Baltimore had a first-round pick in the 20s, then traded back up into the first round with their second to get Lamar at 32. Kyler Murray, at pick one in 2019, entered a franchise that was in a complete and utter rebuild and to the point where it looked like a like a not only a rebuilding roster parts of it look like an expansion roster. And so we're going to go into the year 3 of this rebuild in the off season. And again, I think that while I have my serious concerns about Cliff Kingsbury, I have no doubt that the team, the offense specifically, that they're going to trot out in week 1 of next season will be better than the offense they trotted out this year. They will have upgrades, they will add Speed, they will add athleticism, they'll get faster at positions of, of, of need, they'll, they'll upgrade and tweak the offensive line. I think Josh Jones has a higher seed, ceiling than Kelvin Beecham, Dan Arnold, and what equates to year three with Kingsbury. You've got Christian Kirk in a contract year that he should be motivated. Same with Chase Edmonds. I expect them to draft a back, draft a receiver, and add a prominent receiver of note, number two, to go with Hopkins. I think by default, we're going to see improvements just based on the personnel that they have. And you could see his his rushing yards could go down because of it, but his, his pass inefficiency, I mean, goodness. People are nitpicking Kyler Murray. Josh Allen didn't complete more than 60% or I think like 58% of his throws until this year. And, of course, it's a huge jump into the 70s. Kyler Murray has always been accurate. He almost threw for 4,000 yards. He almost ran for 1,000 yards. I just think that, again, Blake, just like we said with Cliff Kingsbury, people have this assumption because the season didn't end well and Kyler didn't put up gaudy stats when it mattered that this is the kind of player he is. Wherein, if you rewind three weeks ago, he shredded Philadelphia and was the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Then he ran into Robert Sala. And then he got hurt in the finale against the number one defense in the NFL. I think it's it's so much less to do about Kyler Murray and so much more about the Cardinals infrastructure Kime, Kingsbury. And then also, unfortunately, something that you can't control is you have three competent NFL franchises in your division with three head coaches that have all been to the Super Bowl. You are always going to be at a coaching disadvantage. We talked about it, Blake, at nauseam. You were never, until proven otherwise, you were never going to have a coaching advantage in your division. The best you can hope for is four out of the six games, unless Kyler passes Russell Wilson in the next couple of years, you will have a quarterback advantage. He's better than Jared Goff, and you would presume, even if the this, the Niners get somebody like Darnold or Stafford, nobody the Niners are going to try it out next year will be better as a player than Kyler Murray. That's going to have to be enough and you're going to have to get just enough out of Cliff Kingsbury. And it, you know, it's not impossible. This team will probably have a similar over under that they had this year. Maybe it goes up to eight depends what Steve Kime can do in free agency in the draft. But I just think they're good enough to be in contention all year because of the added playoff spot. Now they don't get to play the NFC East and the AFC East next year, but divisions are always up and down. I They're not, they're never going to bottom out with the combination of Kyler and Cliff, but we've talked about it. Will they get the most out of Kyler and this roster while Kyler is still affordable? And you see what Houston's dealing with now. Deshaun Watson is phenomenal. He led the NFL in in passing yards. He's an all worldly player, but the team is so bad. He himself can't do it. And he's got inept coaching. Is, is that what's in the future of the Cardinals? I hope not.
0: Talk about Cliff here in a second. First, I did want to just wrap up some of the Kyler talk with the question I think a lot of people came into with this year where a lot of people assume he's going to take the leap through the first few weeks he did. Obviously, the Cardinals did seem like they stumbled some down the stretch. The biggest question I think that you can ask with Kyler was is he or is he not a franchise quarterback? And the biggest thing I think you see with that is were there any red flags that you see from Kyler Murray that maybe is kind of like, uh, oh, should be a warning sign or something that's going wrong. I think the The easiest ones that you can take a look back with, with previous Cardinals quarterbacks... Some of them, there's ones that were pretty obvious, like the one that you can think of as far as with, you know, there's Matt Leiner. People had questions about, you know, the arm, with the maturity, some of those things you look at with Kevin Cobb was, oh, this is a guy who is going to be durable for the most part was one of the things that you saw. When you look at what happened with Josh Rosen, the three things that we talked about when he ended that season were, hey, he needed to figure out a better way of making plays out of structure. He just seemed like he was slow and would get tackled from behind. We talked about how he needed to be able to uh, accelerate and speed up his process. Sometimes he'd make the right read. It would just get there too late. And then the last one that we at least had talked about for the most part with Rosen was it just seemed very much like that there was, you know, the team would play and would rally around. But you brought up things as far as like he's like, hey, like there were nine mistakes ahead of me. There was these things that happened. There's a lot of things where he kind of seemed and behaved right. But when it came down to it in some of those clutch situations, you just saw mistakes that were made that ultimately it didn't seem like he learned from. There are multiple times we got to see some of either the picks or same mistakes that happened. And we've talked about, hey, hey maybe there still is going to be a future for Rosen. Ultimately, the biggest thing that seemed like it popped up with Kyler that you saw... There weren't any of those questions for the most part overall. We talked about how his athleticism seemed to make up for mistakes and how we saw him adjust and learn over time where he wasn't making the same mistakes. A good example I could give at least is you look at beginning of the season to end of the season. You had a lot of people who were questioning saying, hey, look, he keeps having all these different plays where he's not out of the pocket, throws it away to take an intentional grounding flag. Fast forward to the end of the season, Cardinals end up in times where their offense is stalling out and getting even more problems. And you see, he's not getting those same intentional grounding. Now there was one or two picks that he did that maybe you didn't see as much earlier in the season, but, Ultimately, I think a lot of what people are looking at was, is he a franchise quarterback or not? And I think the two biggest concerns people have talked about is, is he able to read defenses well? And is his body language something you look for in a franchise quarterback? And to me, I think a lot of that ultimately still falls in the fact that Kyler has to overcome some of the hurdles that people will give and put on him in part because he's doing quarterback things that people haven't done before. And some of it, I think at least is if you look at where it is in the NFL, people don't question you when you win games, but they'll always question you when you lose games. And if you win titles or win rings, people aren't going to really question you the same way. Like, you know, people were not questioning whether Russell Wilson was still a franchise quarterback when they lost to the Giants because he's got a ring, he does well. People were not questioning Tom Brady's body language for not shaking hands after the game or the fact that he made a terrible read in the playoffs and threw a pick six to end the Titans game. And that was his last pass as a New England Patriot. So a lot of the stuff with the NFL, I think, comes down to that results over the process. And I think right now what we have to accept with Kyler Murray is he's still in the process of learning how to be an NFL quarterback. And some of that, I think, comes down to the style of offense they're playing. DeAndre Hopkins, the question is, hey, like, why isn't Cliff moving him all over the place or having him line up or finding mismatches? And some of that is, hey, if you're a quarterback coming in and you've got half field reads, that's going to be a totally different thing that makes it easier, speeds up your process for a quarterback when you're young and trying to figure out, you know, here's what the NFL, here's what this NFL defense is showing pre snap. It suddenly changed. All right, I'm going to look to DeAndre Hopkins. Safety's moving over there for double coverage and a deep pass. Cool, I know immediately I can move off of Hopkins. If you're having to move Hopkins around into the slot, into the right-hand side, all over, having him on different crossing routes, maybe Kyler's height has something to do with some of those. We haven't seen as much of the mesh concepts. Perhaps we did see some batted balls for some of those tendencies. Maybe it's something, at least for that one, where there is going to be a limit because every quarterback has it. But when you look at the likes of Patrick Mahomes earlier this year, he made a viral Waves, I think, on I think it was LeBron James's barbershop or whatever that show was where he said, oh, yeah, and his, you know, his Kermit the frog voice is like, I wasn't even like reading defenses for the most part throughout my first two years because I, I didn't know what I was looking at. Now I feel like I finally am like starting to understand more of the tendencies teams have and other things. And you're like, wow, if that's the case and we're talking about the reigning NFL MVP here. Some of that is just the freakish talent that he has, but a lot of it is the fact that when you come to your first job, you're not going to be an expert immediately in your field. And if you think you're an expert, you're probably going to find your way out the door. So to look at where everything is with Kyle Murray, I think this year can be charted up to a success. And like we talked about, John, the Cardinals have in their hands a quarterback who just put up a season that was probably arguably one of, if not the best statistical season they've ever had from a quarterback. And we're expecting that... This should grow because there was times that offense did not look like it was fully functional. That shows you, I think, that there is still room and opportunity for growth. Kyler even said as much. What I think people are questioning now, we can move into, is the coaching scenario. Because with Cliff Kingsbury, I think people came in expecting this explosive, air raid, Oklahoma-style offense. And instead, what we've seen is... More of the Texas A&M Johnny Manziel style offense, which maybe is a surprise, but maybe it shouldn't be, and I think that's the perfect comparison because Texas A&M, it was, all right, Johnny Football's going to be running around making plays and scrambling, and we throw to the wide receiver, Mike Evans, who's always on the left-hand side of the field, and occasionally you'll be able to have a busted or extended play, see a deep shot to Ryan Swope. That was essentially this version of the offense that we saw. So the question is hey, is this because Kyler is limited, or is some of this that Kingsbury's having to play down to the personnel? I think there's a combination of some of them the issue that fans had was the situational awareness and questions you had with cliff seemed to weigh on the team as it went on. And in some cases, John, it, it may have cost them games. Talk a bit about what we've seen from cliff. And then we can kind of move into the rest of the coaching staff as well, because Vance Joseph, in a lot of ways, John, had a lot of pros, but also still some of the same cons we saw from 2019, too. Talk a bit first starting about where we're with Cliff, because you said after the game, you may have to fire Cliff was a tweet that you sent out. I did. Talk
1: a bit about that. I it, Listen, uh, I didn't say definitively I would fire Cliff. That's not a cop out. I think that because of the regression of this team over the second half of the season, I think because of the coaching that you're going to face every year. I think that clearly the, the relationship between Kyler and cliff, it's not hampered, but it's not as close. I I think initially as we thought, um, I I just think if, if you can get an upgrade, you go out and get an upgrade, but you have to have one ready to go. Um, but I just think Michael, I'm not saying at any point, do I think that they're going to move off of him this offseason or Steve Keim, and for that matter, it doesn't look like they're going to move off of their defensive coordinator either. I just think because Michael Bidwell is currently still paying Steve Wilkes and he's a very patient owner, there is a risk of becoming the Cleveland Browns where you're firing people every offseason. Um, I just think you you see this potential with Kyler and you don't want it to go to waste. I think the Colts, if they could do things differently, would have moved on from, from Ryan Griggs and, him and Chuck Pagano much sooner. And to be fair, Cliff Kingsbury has, as a coach, elevated this this team by default because Steve Wilkes just wasn't ready to be a head coach in the NFL. But I think Kyler has just masked so many errors with this franchise that it's fair to wonder, I'm like, what would this team look like with, let's say, a Jason Garrett as their head coach? Would they be better? Would they be the same? I mean, it just it just shows you that I think you've got a hell of a recruiting pitch for let's say somebody who could come in and work with Kyler immediately, knowing how close this team is, they have a lot of top end talent and the recruiting pitch isn't like what it was at an all time low in 2018, 2019. So it's different, but I understand their hesitation to not move on. But I, I just think you've been, you were embarrassed to end the season. Your head coach got embarrassed and I, I, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. It's a win-now league, and the Cardinals have, have made the jump. They have gone from the bottom of the barrel to semi-competitive last year to now they're in every game, but they're still not a winning team yet. You have to be convinced that Cliff Kingsbury can get this team to where it needs to be because, let's, listen, if Kyler Murray comes out next year and puts up the same statistics— I think a lot of us would take that, give or take a touchdown here or there and have it spread out over the course of the season. Is the rest of this team improving? Are they getting more from the running game, secondary options at receiver? And the biggest thing I have, the issue I have with Cliff Kingsbury, and unlike Vance Joseph, who I'll get to in a second, Blake, who is Cliff Kingsbury on this roster elevating? You know, I, I always talk about, are you developing young players? Are you putting your 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 imprint on on this team? This offense does not have an identity. It had one kind of last year. The running game was on the forefront. We saw a lot of creativity from Kingsbury. They were just so limited at spots. And so we thought this year we're going to see the full complexity of Cliff Kingsbury's offense. And like we mentioned earlier, they, they don't do anything well outside of Kyler go make a play and Hopkins go make a play. So we're in year three now, and you've got young players, albeit flawed, like Isabella, and Christian Kirk, who have been entrenched in this offense for two years and it's still not working, well, then what's the problem?
0: John, there is one thing that we did, I think, learn that was strong about the Cardinals this year was when you do have schematically can get guys deep, you're able to at least see Kyler and that deep ball be able to launch off. The other thing that I think was interesting that we learned about was, and this is at least one of the positives, the Cardinals inside the red zone were a very lethal team that had some well-designed plays and some good times that were executed. But then it seemed like that those were too far and few between like you would have sometimes you would have kind of a like I think of the touchdown to Max Williams in the Eagles game where you got to see, you know, it looks like he's about to block skins past the guy wide open for a touchdown. You think about some of the plays we've seen to chase Edmonds and Kirk. There's other times where it felt like, gosh, if they're not going to hand the ball off to Kyler to run it in or be on the one yard line where Kenyon Drake can jump over everyone. Gosh, like they seem like they had struggles overall. And that's where I think that there's going to be questions on, you know, We'll go back and talk about how is it talent? Is it going to be, you know, the coaching? A lot of people, I think, are looking at that. And, John, this is what we talked about for a lot of the season. I think a lot of it is still pretty wrapped up together, and that's a frustrating thing for a lot of Cardinals fans. Um, A good thing I can talk about now, I think, as far as on the defensive side, you've called Vance Joseph kind of the defensive, or I guess you could even say the coaching MVP of this season. Yeah. We saw him take the Cardinals. And some of it, you know, it's the same thing. Coaching, how much of it's talent-wise. Sure. We saw that the Cardinals added three free agents this year. The biggest change and shift that we saw was they got back a healthy Patrick Peterson – you had a veteran corner in Drake Kirkpatrick, and you had a linebacker who could actually kind of stick with a tight end. Yeah. We got to at least see the Cardinals defense at sometimes was essentially able to be a dominant unit. We didn't see tight ends go off against them. We didn't see – we complained about – we also saw without Chandler Jones, they were still able to have a pass rush. Hassan Redick was developed and moved into a proper role You saw Dennis Gardeck move away from an inside linebacker spot. We even saw, you know, the likes of Zach Allen was able to go out there and make some plays. Uh, But otherwise, there wasn't too much to talk about with the defense. I think a lot of times you look at where the Cardinals did well. It's like, all right, they did well in the red zone. A lot of teams can do pretty well in the red zone. Yeah. But then you look just even at this Rams game. There's a 13-yard run play to Wolford, a 15-yard pass play. You had a 27-yard pass play to a running back where Jalen Thompson either bites or he's having to play his zone. The safety didn't pick it up. It was a play call that either McVeigh took advantage of. It felt like in a lot of different ways that this was a defense that could essentially at some games seem like that they could stop anyone or be able to get a sack, and at other times it looked like they were just letting guys run wide open all over the field And especially where it seemed to take in was on third and long. You'd be like, oh, third and 15, and somehow they converted. Or, oh, here's a got to have it down, and Cardinals are not able to come away with it. That, I think, is something where what I think with a lot of fans looked at Cliff and Kyler and looked at Vance even and said, hey, like, it's good for that one. We've seen the improvement, but it's not good enough. And that, I think, is kind of defined in the Cardinals getting an 8-8 and record. You don't feel like it was a solid season you don't feel like that it was a terrible bad season either and that's where i think a lot of people now are looking at the organization and a very key 2021 what were your thoughts on the defense before we kind of wrap up looking at um kind of the last two big stories of the day uh with the organization and then uh, certain number 11
1: yeah i think the defense greatly uh overcompensated i i think they exceeded my expectations twofold. And I think if you would have told me before the season, this was the effort we were going to get or the, the, the bottom line statistics, I would have thought this team was a, uh, a guaranteed playoff team. Uh, listen, they were 10th in football outsiders defensively. I know that's not the end all be all. I believe they were top 12 in points per game allowed. They allowed 22.9 points per game. That's better than multiple playoff teams, including the Packers, the Seahawks, the Bears, the Bills. Uh, many multi uh, Tennessee. I mean, they were better than all those teams defensively based on points per games. And I, some people are going to scoff at this. I don't care about yards. It's 2020. The, the NFL game is meant for offenses to succeed. Are you getting the ball in the end zone or not? And the Cardinals had an opportunity to punch their ticket to the dance each of the last two weeks of the season, Blake, and the defense gave up 20 points and they gave up nine points and they lost both those games. And, if they had won those, either one of those games, the narrative on Vance Joseph would have been completely different. I also want to point out, you mentioned a couple guys coming back from injury. They lost Jordan Phillips for what equated to basically half of the season. That was their big-ticket defensive line signing. Zach Allen missed, I think, the first seven to eight games of the season. He was supposed to be a year two breakout player who I did think played well at the end of the season. They lost Corey Peters, a staple at nose tackle. Of course, Chandler Jones, who was, I think, the runner up for defensive player of the year last year. He, he Jordan Hicks regressed physically. That's not on Vance Joseph. The only thing that I can criticize is you didn't play enough of your young players in Isaiah Simmons and, and, and Byron Murphy. That's the only criticism I have. And by all accounts, Vance is going to be back next year, and Isaiah Simmons is going to be starting at the right inside linebacker position because Devondre Campbell is entering free agency. But you lost Robert Alford, who you paid a boatload to to never put on a Cardinal uniform at corner. He never played. They got Drake Kirkpatrick off the scrap heat right before the season. He was maybe their most consistent corner, certainly led them in interceptions. So I think that those reasons and one other, the fact that he was able to unlock the potential with Hassan Reddick and turn him into a 12 and a half sack player at a will linebacker spot. To me, I just think you're never going to have, unless you have elite personnel top to bottom, a top five defense with Vance Joseph. But for the way this roster is constructed, this team, this defense on paper did enough to get this team to the postseason this year. And you you, you will never be able to convince me otherwise. Did they look like garbage against Tua? Absolutely. That was a horrendous performance. Did they look bad against Jalen Hurts at times? Absolutely. But for the most part, when they needed to, they performed well. The Cardinals gave up 367 points in a division in which Seattle gave up more and San Francisco. Only Los Angeles in their division, the number one defense in all football, gave up more. The Cardinals are incredibly average at defensive line. They're average at corner. Outside of Buda Baker, they didn't have Jalen Thompson for most of the year. They struggle covering tight ends and, and running backs historically. He made it work. There was one week they they didn't have Buda. They didn't have Jalen. I think Chris Banjo was hurt. I mean, they had to start a bunch of street-free agents and Deontay Thompson. I mean, give Vance credit. He did more with less than Cliff Kingsbury, who, by the way, at the end of the season, Cliff Kingsbury, outside of, of Christian Kirk and Fitz in that finale against LA and I guess to a lesser extent, Kyler Murray, but the week before against, against San Francisco had everybody. He had everybody he started the season with and, and they couldn't score more than what, 14 points or 13 points in that game. So I, I am, I understand if they move on from Vance, I don't think they will. I understand fans frustration. He's not perfect, but just like Cliff Kingsbury, you cannot move on unless you have an upgrade ready to go. If they've got somebody, you know, proven track record that wants this Cardinal defensive coordinator job that sees the potential that can unlock, you know, Isaiah Simmons, unless you've got somebody like that ready to go. I mean, there, how can you go into a a press conference and say Vance Joseph is fired when you know he outcoached your head coach at most of this year. So I am not, listen, I am not married to Vance Joseph as the Cardinal DC. I'm not banging my drum for him to stay, but I think it's hypocritical to suggest that, he didn't perform admirably considering the talent or lack thereof that they had. And I think that it's realistic with the upgrades they're going to make to expect them to improve again next year. Just my opinion.
0: It'll be interesting to watch with the Cardinals. That kind of leads us, I think to the, the biggest key I think with it all is the organization. You brought up the Panthers early and I want to bring those back because The Panthers were a team that essentially moved on from their head coach in John Fox, brought in a brand-new coach in Ron Rivera, brought in Cam Newton. They kept their GM, Marty Herney. And that's one of the things I think that's interesting to look at is a lot of people are going to question, you know, like, hey, is a lot of this really matter with the Cardinals? How much of this essentially is talent deficiency and talent scouting? How much of this is, you know, people are questioning, you know, whether the leadership on the team – if you've got two games that are must-win – You can't seem to gut them out. You know, it's like, how much is that's on the staff? How much of this is here? And some of this, John, I think is partially you have to look at the way that the Cardinals have handled this from a talent perspective. It's really like we've talked about, you got to get more talent for some of that. Obviously, coaching seems to be a part of it. How much of this at least is this is still the coaching staff that Steve Kime ultimately brought in. This was kind of his redemption arc that he had to have. And we're looking at. You know, just the needs for next year alone for the Cardinals. You gotta get a starting running back under contract corners, you gotta figure out your edge players. You also probably have to look at upgrading at least one somewhere on the interior line and as well as getting a wide receiver. You're just looking at all of these different needs that are the way the team is built. And some of it at least is is this kind of something where we're expecting Kyler and Cliff, these guys who are in their second year in the NFL, to have to drag and carry this franchise along to prominence while they're still learning it. And how much of that then goes on to the Cardinals with the expectations? I think that there's some that could go into it. And maybe that's one of the cases of when I see people are saying, hey, like, you know, these guys may be on uh, high alert next year. I see a lot of people saying, oh, it's not just Cliff and Kyler on high alert. Kyler looks like he's fine. Watch out for Cliff, but also they're lumping in the general manager. We've talked a lot about how the Cardinals, we've called them before, previously been kind of a loser organization compared to other teams in the NFL. What is the thoughts that you have as far as the Cardinals going into 2022, where if they'd won one of those games, they're probably off of the hot seat. The way that they lost was so discouraging to a lot of people. It reminded me of the, the Steve Wilkes press conferences Hey, Steve Wilkes, there was such a bad press conference. Like, oh, man, like, we still have faith in this guy to be able to at least be a leader. But my goodness, that was terrible. And then you watch the first two games. Oh, my goodness. Like, they got blown out for all of this. It was so bad. We you knew that eventually they were going to bench Sam Bradford if things were there. That's how these two last games against divisional rivals – kind of felt like and we're talking about teams that are talented that are you know pushing for the playoffs what are your thoughts on Steve Keim even with Michael Bidwell the organization for all that especially since and you and I you know we will talk a little bit more about this in our next show I think you and I both are making our prediction with Larry Fitzgerald that he's probably going to retire and that Patrick Peterson's probably going to leave that means that this whole kind of Kime Bidwell era that we've seen of the Cardinals that we brought in this whole Super Bowl and Arians era uh, Chandler Jones entering the last year of his deal too uh, you're kind of having to depend ultimately on your general manager, especially if you're going to be paying Kyler Murray a lot of money. And we're still not quite a hundred percent sure exactly what or who he is at this point. I think a lot more people are comfortable with him, but what are your thoughts as we wrap up today on Kim and the organizational aspect behind Kyler Murray
1: here? I, I think you're going to see the most aggressive period of free agency in the draft that, that oh. we've seen under Steve Kim that might mirror the 2016 offseason where he went out and they tried to push that team over the top with veterans to get them to a Super Bowl. I think we will see something to that degree from a GM that knows he's on the hot seat and a head coach that that knows it as well. I expect their first round pick to be a player that Kim knows will play right away. And if that's something like a running back, it will not surprise me. I expect them to go out in free agency and add bonafide, no nonsense starters that are proven in the NFL. I think there, you can, you can take it to the bank. Steve Keim on the first couple days of free agency will go out and get a receiver that there's no doubt that that person, whether it's Marvin Jones or Curtis Samuel, or, you know, you can dream about it like an Allen Robinson. He will go out and give a big contract to a number two wide receiver. He will go out and upgrade at least one of the corner positions And he will go out in the draft and get somebody that will come in not to be a slow developing half part time player as a rookie, somebody that can come in and impact this team right away. That just to me, when you have that sense of urgency that, oh, no, we what equated to we vomited all over ourselves to end the season and this is what people remember. We need people to help us now. We need help right now. That's why I think there's zero chance that they let Hassan Reddick go. I think he's either transition tagged or franchise tagged because you need him in the fold. And as much as I do not believe it's the right move long term, I, I would not be surprised if they brought back Patrick Peterson just because of the free agent corners that you see, he is the best option. So to me, Blake, I think it's all about – how can they put together the strongest possible team for Cliff Kingsbury to coach in 2021 that will buy them additional time? Because you and I both know if they put together a playoff team next year and they win 10, 11 games, Kime is getting extended. Kings, Kingsbury is getting a vote of confidence. You know, if they miss the postseason and they regress, I don't, I'm not even talking about like Kyler regressing, I'm just talking about win loss. they regress and go backwards, that's six years without postseason success for Steve Kime. I believe they will both lose their jobs in the process. So if you're Steve Kime, what are you doing this offseason? Are you slow playing it? No, you're going to double down on what you did with Hopkins last offseason. You're going to ensure that whom you draft in the first round, I've never felt stronger about this, whether they trade down and do it, I believe the player that they get, either at 16 or if they trade down and get an extra second or whatever, the first player or players that they get will be plug and play like you're you're going to step in and have a significant role in week one. There's no more of this hand-holding. There's going to be, knock on wood, hopefully a regular offseason. That's why I just, I think about it, Blake, and I'm like, I could absolutely see them taking a running back in the first round. I could absolutely see them taking, you know, an impact wide receiver early because the Cardinals run four wide receiver sets. I could see them taking a plug and play offensive guard, uh, you know, plug and play defensive lineman. There's not going to be a period of, well, we got to just kind of wait and see. It's going to be like when Kyler started as a rookie, we need you day 1. So, that is that is my prediction because they themselves know that that time is running out, that you need to be a playoff team next year. And if you're a fan, it's a good place to be. You just you 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 you, you take take this as it comes. At the end of the season, it's disappointing, we get over it. You know that regardless if it happens or not, this team's going to push all their chips in the table. The rebuild has to conclude this offseason and this team has to get to, to double-digit wins. Yeah, I,
0: and uh, yeah. to wrap up, I think that's where we'll be curious, John, because we just said it's it's kind of like it's the return of desperation kind. We talked about that in the past as far as with the Cardinals in 2018 getting a quarterback. I think a lot of people's expectations and questions is, is the time and Cliff uh, ability and the fact that they still have, you know, the same scouts that were there from, you know, 2004, 2008, 2018, even for a lot of those ones – How much of this is just going to be more of this fact that they can't get over that hump? You see a moderate improvement, get a nice player. They go 9-7 and and miss the playoffs. You're like, okay, they improved. They beat another quality team. I think a lot of people are questioning if that's the case. And that's really, I think, the big thing we're going to have to see, at least in this offseason, is how much of the Cardinals are capable. We've already seen, I think, some good signs, but there's also been some warning ones as well. That, I think, is stuff that will be the narrative of the entire Cardinals offseason. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining us. We'll have more talking about some of the Cardinals' needs that we'll have coming up. There's not just upgrades that are needed for the team. There's also some holes on their roster. We'll talk about some of that with free agency and get a little bit more into as far as with kind of some examination of... Uh, what kind of got the cardinals into this thing we're reviewing some of their overall season and maybe took a look around some of the nfl as well uh i know we've got pick 16 coming up there's a long way to get to the nfl draft uh, john where can the listeners find you and your takes at least for the most part uh as we get into this uh off season that we wish we were still talking about games yeah. cardinals were not able to come through unfortunately hopefully at least there's always that team hope you have of you know next year will be better right <laughs>
1: I'm at Johnny Venerable on Twitter, of course, here on the ROTB podcast throughout the duration of this offseason with my buddy Blake. And then, of course, in the written form, revengeofthebirds.com. And I'm going to try to figure out my live streams. Now the Periscope is gone. Uh, Twitter Live is a thing now, I guess. And I had some audio issues after the, the finale against LA. But we will get the live streams going some point this year. And uh, plenty of quality content, Blake. Where can they find yours?
0: Uh, it'll be on revengeofthebirds.com as well as at Blake Murphy 7 I got an article that should be up either if not tomorrow morning, the day after uh, kind of going with a push uh, a I guess you could say a buy and a sell you know your typical uh, stocks you think of stocks rising, stocks falling a lot of Cardinals opinions about either players they should draft, players they should cut, players they should resign. I'll take a stab at which of those you should buy, which of those you should sell and maybe something to consider or hold off on Can't wait. so it's going to be a lot of fun for that one to look at that this offseason, I think you guys are so much for those of you listening supporting you know us the cardinals throughout the season those following on the rest of us on revenge of the birds um, hope you guys have a, a great start at least to the offseason the playoffs are coming up we'll see exactly who makes it out some interesting games coming up um, we'll talk a little bit more about the cardinals offseason later not this week then at least for sure early next week take care everyone hope you guys had a great start to your new year even if the Arizona Cardinals, eight and eight that they were, uh, just came up a little bit short. Take care.